Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Martin, uh, <laughs> this, this, is, this is a joint podcast this time, right? <laughs> of course. It's going to be fun. Welcome to my show, and I guess I'll welcome myself to yours, Don. Yes, this is also Photo Geek Weekly, episode 165, and uh, Martin and I, what is the date today? It's the end of, uh, end of January, January 29th. It'll probably be uh, released at the beginning of February, but uh, Martin, I'm glad we can kind of cross-pollinate our, our, uh, our audience here, our, our streams get to uh, intermingle. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun, and uh, we are, of course, we're doing this uh, partly because we're both going to be speaking at the Out of Chicago live event again in February, so we're going to give a quick word, a quick blast out to that. Well, actually, uh, I, I want you to, but before we get into, into that, uh, uh, leave that as a bit of a teaser, I, I want to know what's going on with you, man, and I, I want to <laughs> uh, uh, opine about my own adventures here and then we can we can talk about what we're going to be doing Absolutely. with Chicago. Okay. Well, so I, I it's been, been a while since I've chatted with you. It was mm. 2021, the mm. last time we had a conversation. A lot mm. can happen in a short period of time. So, <laughs> what's uh what what adventures have you gotten up to? For a long while now, I've had a an idea for an um, well, well, it's uh, initially going to be iOS and hopefully Android pretty soon after that. But I I've always wanted a really nice looking desk clock on my on my iPhone, and there, there's some of them in the Apple Store, and they're you know they're they're pretty good, um, but could never find anything that I that I really like the look of, and so I've spent the last month developing a new iOS app. And it's about a week away from release. Um, but it looks great. It's a really nice looking um, desk clock, or clock for uh, in the evening, you know, when you're in bed. Uh, but there's the option to either load your own images in the background as, you know, as the background photos or pay a little bit extra for some of my photos as the background. So it's a, it's a bit of, it's like a, a, a cross between a photos, a slideshow and a clock, but it looks really good. And I've spent every waking hour working on that since the end of December. So I've been a, a bad husband as usual. Um, but that's- <laughs> you, know, you know what would be a really interesting use for this too, Martin? You, you said like a, a desk clock type of idea. Mm. I, I have sitting in my drawer here um, my, uh, my my wife's old iPhone. Mm. And, I, and I'm not sure if, I, I guess I could probably recycle it, but the screen is dinged up and scratched and cracked and, and it, it's really not in great shape. And the battery is not fantastic on it either. It could lead another life uh, mm. sitting permanently fixed on a desk or a nightstand or something like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, rather than just collecting dust in a drawer. Yeah. Yeah. I often, I have um, like a stand, a little, I'm holding it up here, but we're talking and we're never going to release the video. But I have a stand that I use on my desk, which is a charger at the same time. Um, and so, you know, just drop it onto that. Even the, you know, your regular phone, if you don't want to leave the screen on, for a very long yeah an old phone does the trick and uh it, it look it really does look good i've i've made it sort of customizable so you can have the numbers which can be roman numerals or um, no numbers or or literal you know normal numbers um all sorts of different things and and it's it the background can be made in various degrees of transparency so 
that you can see the photos behind it and stuff. It's, it really looks quite, I'm very happy with how it's turned out. So I'm looking forward to getting that out and uh, seeing how it, how it goes. I, I already have like version 2.0 of your, of your project in my mind because I, um, I have a, it's not with me right now. It's still in Canada. We have to ship a lot of our belongings from Canada here to uh, Bulgaria still. But um, I have a, a Nixie tube desk clock. Mm. And wouldn't it be cool to have, instead of, you know, Roman numerals or whatever type of uh, display, to have like Nixie tubes and to like actually record video of of a live tube going through the number sequences and use <laughs> that as it. Yeah. Uh, but, but further, uh, you could probably record like a, um, uh, a, a wire uh, or like just a black and white grid in behind to see how the tube itself distorts uh, <laughs> straight lines. Yeah. And then you could use that data to distort the images as they're displayed behind <laughs> the tubes themselves. Selves, uh, I'm making a heck of a lot of work for you here, Martin. But uh. I think it's going to be more like version five than two. But yeah, I, I love it, and this is why I really enjoy speaking with you, Don, because you're always so geeky, and that's of course the the main theme of your podcast. So tell us how you're going, how you're doing, what have you been up to recently? Uh, you know what? Uh, in a sense, I'm um, I'm still getting my legs here in Bulgaria on the coast of the Black Sea, and, uh, and not in a bad way. Mm. It's just you know, it takes a while for things to completely get back up to steam the way that you might have already been in a in a proper routine before, mm. um, and that includes setting up proper lighting in my studio. Uh, it includes, as I mentioned, shipping all of our belongings that we couldn't you know carry with us uh, over here on the plane but as time goes on uh the I, I guess the value of those belongings becomes less and less you know we mm. threw a lot out before we moved and we packed everything into one small room uh in in our house that we're renting out at the moment uh but you know i, I don't i don't miss those possessions uh, if i if i don't need them it, it's like a huge weight that has mm. lifted off of my shoulders. And, mm. uh, and here in Bulgaria, we've um, started on a construction project to uh, build this beautiful stone oven and outdoor kitchen uh, off mm. of the back entrance of our house. And that's coming along quite nicely and it'll be finished within the month. And when that's done, uh, we have this wonderful little slice of peace and paradise um, that through the, uh, the spring and summer months is just going to be such a joy to sit back with a book and relax and read and listen to the birds and, and mm. the chickens and, and, and the dogs of the village that we live <laughs> in, uh, and, and just really kind of rediscover the, the, the core ingredients that we want to have in our lives. Mm. I don't mean like for this to be a, like a sabbatical or something like that. I'll be creative through the whole process. Uh, mm. But I feel like as with many of my colleagues in North America, um, that running the rat race really runs you on empty constantly. And being a creative mm. running on empty on a constant basis is a really difficult thing because it forces you mm. to be creative. And as soon as you're forced into that methodology of, okay, well, now I have to think outside the box and I have to force myself to, uh, you know, create magic and be interesting and be inspired. You can't force inspiration. You can try, uh, mm. but the end result is not going to be as good as it should be. So uh, yeah. those batteries are in the process of recharging right now, uh, all for the better. Mm. Uh, excellent. Yeah. I, 
I both my, myself and my wife will be happy when I can finally get some recharging time again. Um, I'm, I'm not really not the best of people to be around when I'm doing development work, so I uh, <laughs> I, I can totally relate to that. Uh, and you know, I've had some people uh, uh, reach out to me in the last little while. It's like, you know, Don, we we just you know read your book. W- when are you doing workshops again? And I'm thinking, yeah, it's on the roadmap to do uh, workshops here in Bulgaria. Probably not until 2023. Mm. Uh, this year will be a lot of discovery and then some planning and, and what have you. Um, but that doesn't stop the the virtual workshops, especially mm. uh, globally. Does you don't have to leave your desk. Uh, yeah. And and Martin, you're in Japan. I'm in Bulgaria, but. We are both uh, participating in an out of Chicago conference. The world is a global village these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we're uh, starting that up, uh, up in March. You've got all the, uh, the details on that. Why don't you spill the beans? Yeah, so we're we're both going to be we're actually doing a joint session on one of the days as well. So this is going to be fun, uh, but we're going to be speaking at the Out of Chicago live event. It's going to happen from March the 11th to the 13th, 2022, and all sessions are recorded and available for 12 months after the event. And you can learn more and register at www.outofchicago.com. It's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Take a look at that. Yeah, uh, I, because it is. Well, it's not only going to be fun, but uh, Martin and I were discussing via email some ideas for our joint session. We still don't know what we're going to do. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe after we're done recording this conversation uh, for this podcast, we'll sit down and, and have a, a more detailed discussion. But the fact yeah. is that you know when you get two interesting geeky minds together on the subject of <laughs> macro photography, and probably we'll go into microscopy and and all the wonderful uh, you know challenges that you face as you get closer and closer to subjects um that uh it's going to be a fun conversation no matter how you slice it and there's going to be a lot of other wonderful discussions happening during that out of chicago conference Mm -hmm. barton is is it your first time working with them i've done a few myself in the past i yeah i was there like we we spoke in last year's um whatever yeah you know in in some of the parties and things as well so i'm a little bit hurt that you don't recall that but (laughs) it's uh it's so much happens over a short period of time the after hour parties was i think it was like in the morning for you because it was the time zone difference and and if i remember now you were uh you know uh, somewhat uh uh, you were asking permission because you had an early morning session uh, in Chicago time, but it would be late at night for you uh, if you could be having a libation during your presentation. <laughs> and I thought it. that you was the it. cutest thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I often I don't I try not to mix having a drink with work, and it it was definitely work, but it was a lot of fun as well. So I thought, you know, it's late for me. I'm going to probably grab a drink. Um, but yeah, now you've got it. Um, so that there was the go. first time, though. That was the the first one of the, those events that I've done with the the out of Chicago folks. I remember I, I was invited a number of years ago, but it was when the world was still normal, and it would have involved paying for a flight over to Chicago for me, and that made it a little bit more difficult to make it work. So now that the world has shrunk because of the pandemic. Um, it's it's actually making it easier for me to do that sort of thing, just as you said. And and for me too. Uh, I mean, yeah, I could take a flight back there. I drove down uh, to uh, when they had the their conference um, out of Longwood Gardens, mm. and that was a ton of fun. And and I, 
I don't want to say that this is a substitute for in-person learning because they really are two separate entities. Um, Being hands-on in a physical location with somebody is incredibly valuable, but so too is the online distance learning, especially when you can revisit the exact recordings of that for up to a year uh, Hmm. and kind of go back and catch all the stuff that you missed because so many times in person, when uh, when I've done workshops, it all clicks in and makes perfect sense to somebody. Yeah. Uh, and then they try to recall exactly what that was mm. even an hour later. And it's very difficult for them to put those pieces together. I liken it to watching a, a, a documentary film. And they explain some piece of complicated science in such perfect layman's terms, all the light bulbs are going off in my head. And then I tried to explain it to somebody the day after, I got nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a bit of a a juxtaposition between these two things. And yes, they do cross over a little bit, but they really need to be looked at as as separate uh, separate entities. And, And I should mention as well that Martin and I both do workshops separately from this. I've got one coming up virtually also in March and April on macro photography from Princeton Photo Workshop. And you can check that out. And Martin, on your website, I'm sure you've got some stuff uh, in the works as well, right? Well, I I have, but most of my workshops are like uh, location tours. And unfortunately, they haven't been happening for the last two years. And I'm I'm kind of wondering if I have two Namibia tours coming up in in April and May, and they are probably not going to happen as well. So it's, I mean, a lot of, like you say, a lot of the virtual stuff is still going ahead and it's actually building, but, um, I, yeah, my, my main workshops that I do in beautiful locations are taking a bit of a battering. Yeah. Well, and I've got this grand idea of having people, um, here in my village to do a macro photography workshop for a day Mm. and then spend a week touring around Bulgaria Mm. uh, to visit the caves and mountaintops and waterfalls and, you know, ancient Roman ruins and whatever else that there is to see that we could pack into a week and wind it down with another day of macro Mm. uh, here in, uh, you know, in in this village. And, uh, you know, that, that, I think would be a huge hit. Uh, and if you're interested, you know, uh, send me an email, but uh, it's not happening this year. <laughs> it, there's just absolutely no way. And not only with my own setup uh, still in progress here, but the world is, I don't think, ready for that, even if I was ready for it at this right. point. So, yeah, yeah. Um, that's the problem. Back. It will come back. It'll, uh, but it's going to take another year or so, I think. So your plans sound solid. Well, let's talk about things that may or may not come back if we get into the the stories that we're going to talk about on on this joint episode of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast and Photo Geek Weekly. Uh, uh, It's from DP Review, an update uh, of uh, of an article from Rico. And uh, and I'll I'll read through it and and their update and uh, sort of what this might mean and what we could possibly opine on here. But questioning the value of mass production and mass sales, Rico is looking to take a more direct-to-consumer approach, at least in Japan. And it's great that I have you on the uh, on the conversation here because that's from where you currently hail. So, Rico, their sales haven't been great. Uh, I mean, just there's no way to sugarcoat that. Rico owns the Pentax brand and Pentax has said that they are pretty well sticking to the flapping mirror design of cameras and they're not jumping onto the mirrorless bandwagon. Although of course, Rico with their GR cameras and a lot of other things, they've got some very nice compact cameras, Mm. obviously without a mirror. Um, But they have been 
playing not not second fiddle but like fourth or fifth uh, down the line mm. to the bigger players and with a contracting camera industry how do they stay afloat mm. and one of the ideas uh, is that well maybe they make a camera to order so they don't have a massive inventory of uh, of stuff just sitting in a warehouse w- waiting for somebody to buy and maybe it doesn't and then the product cycle shifts and now the next one has to come out but they're still sitting on inventory from the previous one and that mm. doesn't make good business sense. So what if you take a more direct consumer approach? You know, you can cut out the retailers which honestly has been happening for a good chunk of time already uh and and go directly to the people that want to buy your equipment but in doing so there's a lot of interesting business mentality shifts, a paradigm shift, if you will, that could take place. So first of all, Martin, what do you think about what Rico could do hmm. versus uh, where the industry is going? And is there still a place for Pentax? You know, I, it's, a, it's a really interesting move. And I, I'm kind of surprised by it in some ways in that, you know, I didn't realize that Pentax were hurting so much um, sales-wise. But I think the idea of, it's almost like taking values back a few decades where camera manufacturers used to be more um, hands-on with their customers. I I remember hearing stories of, um, I think it was, I think it was probably Canon, probably um, through one of my friends over there, but they would, for example, take all of the oil out of or the grease out of cameras that were going to go to places like Everest, because they would f- the, once the grease freezes up, they they the, you know the camera stops working. So rather than yeah. saying okay, you can't use our cameras in minus forty, which is what they put on all of the consumer camera specifications, they would say okay, yeah, you can use it, but you got to give us the camera for a few weeks to take all of the grease out, and th- and that used to be something you heard of, and it's. It sort of went away because of the consumerism and the and the things that uh, Rico or Pentax are are currently talking about moving away from again. So it's it's I think it's it's a good thing in a way, and I can certainly see that there will be uh, you know people and especially it's interesting that it is happening here in Japan. Um, I can imagine there's going to be a lot of people saying I I want this, I want that. I would love to be able to be um, to say to Canon, yeah, you know, your cameras are great, but you you have been taking the GPS out of all of the cameras that I buy. You know, they they had it, they they've missed. They're literally skipping all of the bodies that I feel are the best for my workflow. Stick it in there, guys. I'll pay you an extra hundred bucks or or a few hundred. It'd probably be a lot more than that to customize a camera, but you know what I mean. Well, and the the 1D series from Canon used to have, uh, they, they might even still have, I haven't looked at the um, at the current crop of them, but a, a little port on the side that you could plug in optional accessories. Mm. Uh, and they introduced that at a time where that could be uh, a Wi-Fi adapter, a GPS adapter, um, and uh, no, Wi-Fi is built into all the camera bodies and GPS in, in some of them. Um, but uh, that modularity, I think, would be welcome. In fact, uh, there was a, a modular laptop design that I saw recently where you could just kind of slide in a port um, mm. and it could have anything you want on it. It could be various types of USB or display port or whatever it is, mm. and you could just kind of s- slot them in. Uh, and I thought that would be kind of an interesting thing for camera manufacturers to do as well. Take the um, uh, the entire port mechanism on the side 
and make that modular so that you could choose your inputs that you find most useful for yourself. But also Mm. if you break something, you don't have to send the camera in for repairs. You can just kind of swap out that component. So Mm. uh, from that perspective, you know, there, there could be some advantage to doing that. Uh, You mentioned Canon and not too long ago, Canon was still producing variants of some of their cameras for astrophotography that had a slightly modified, um, uh, high and low pass filter array to allow for hydrogen alpha to w- which is like a, a very deep red uh, spectral line uh, to be received by the camera that normally would be blocked by mm. uh, by those filters um, they also made a version i think of the 7d that had a barcode scanner attachment or the ability mm. to be compatible with barcode scanners so that if you were mm. doing school portraits you could add into the exif data of the image the barcode information uh from that particular student so that you had all of your data properly synchronized and i thought that mm. was neat as well i want more of that kind of specialization from every manufacturer if mm. pentax uh as a brand is forced into this um sort of idea of direct to consumer they can truly embrace that idea mm. you know you could have a gps option or you know what if you want your camera in some funky color uh, mm. Pentax has been known to do that in the past, right? So that's yeah. kind of right up their alley to say, you know, if they do a Kickstarter campaign yeah. and as a limited edition from that Kickstarter campaign, you could choose your camera in any one of 16 unusual colors. You mm. want neon lime green? It's there for you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, would I want that camera? Absolutely not. But if you're doing, uh, or hey, you know what? It does actually make sense. If you're doing uh, camera work in some industrial uh, scenario, or you're putting your camera inside of like a, a water enclosure that might end up being dropped on the bottom of a lake, maybe a bright, vibrant neon orange mm. actually makes sense to have the camera body that color so that you could spot it yeah. uh, in a location where it otherwise might be lost. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of niche scenarios where that type of stuff might be useful. And if Rico is seeing the writing on the wall that they can't be stocking the shelves with their cameras anymore, maybe the retailers just aren't interested in stocking them either, because there's a risk on on both sides of that, that you might have the ability to, uh, to try something new with an age-old brand uh, in a world that, yeah, you know what, I buy a lot of stuff on Kickstarter all the time. Mm. Sometimes it's a success. Sometimes we talked about on a, on a recent episode, um, uh, the K lens, which mm. was a, uh, you know, it would, would create this array of nine different images with mirrors that all had a slightly different perspective from one another mm. uh, that would be great for 3D augmented reality, creating very detailed and accurate depth maps. They just canceled their Kickstarter campaign. I had backed it for more than 2000 euro. Mm. And I was really looking forward to getting that lens. And instead of going to market with it, Mm. um, they, and a lot of companies are guilty of this, they uh, set their bar too low to pass the threshold of 100% funding. Mm. And unless a company completely smashes through that, if they set it too low, then even still, they won't have enough money to go to manufacture. And I guess, bonus to them, Um, They realized that they didn't take my money and run. Mm. Uh, They canceled the project and my card was never charged because the campaign never completed and uh, they're back to the drawing board. Wow, I didn't realize A company like, yeah, it's unfortunate. I've been following that. I hadn't backed it, but I'd I'd been following it and I thought that they were going to have no problem going to market. 
it's your fault, Martin. You didn't back it. You didn't have your money. And <laughs> well, I said, it's... well, without Martin Bailey's support. Uh... <laughs> it actually doesn't interest me. That kind of photography doesn't interest me, but it, it is, it's innovative. And I, I was watching it just because I, I wanted to see what happened. But that's strange, yeah. Well, with an upstart company, there's a lot of risk. Yeah. But with a company like Rico, um, they've got, uh, I don't want to say that they have a war chest. I have no idea what their financials look like, but they would be able to pad a campaign mm. with some money from other industries if they really needed to make it a success once it passes a certain threshold uh, versus a return on investment and so on. Mm. Um, so a company like that would be more apt to say, okay, you know what, if we get, you know, a hundred orders for a particular camera or product, we can go ahead and know that, yeah, we're going to have a hundred sales right from the beginning. And, uh, that's not definitely not enough to cover the manufacturing costs and the research and development, but at mm. least it's something to put to say we're above that level. Let's move forward and make as many of them as we think we can sell. Mm. Um, but they're yeah. not, they're not so. going to be, they're not talking about designing a camera from scratch and going away and starting the, the R and D on how to make a sensor and stuff. Are they? They've got all of that. They, they're really just, it's, it's the, the combination of things that they, yeah, how we put this camera together. What do you want in this camera? And, and then making it in that, you know, with all of your specs in mind. So to a degree, of course. If you, if you were left-handed mm. and you could pay a premium for a left-handed variant of a camera, yeah. would you do it? Uh, probably, I mean, I'm not yeah. left-handed, so I, I haven't, I, I'm not in that group, yeah. but, uh, a certain percentage of the population might. Well, uh, and I've always cool. I've always thought that in, in addition to that, there's the left-eyed scenario. You know, a lot of people are they have the 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 left eye is is their um what is it? not prominent not prominent what's the word they not dominant dominant that's the one. So so a lot of people have a, a, the left eye is the dominant eye, and and they're forced in many ways to use the right eye because if they use the left one. They then the camera is, is sort of coming right up their hand is right over their nose and it doesn't feel good. So maybe just a camera that is is left-handed um for the left dominant, you know, the dominant eye on the left people as well. It's that's all stuff that you can you can keep into account or put into account with this. Well, uh let's let's keep our finger on the pulse of that yeah. because I, I think that it's going to be updated on a regular basis based on, and this is important based on feedback from the consumer base. Yeah. And this is a point in the um in the history of the brand that they are the most receptive to feedback. And mm. so if you are a Pentax shooter or you are potentially interested in what this might be, I'm sure through some venue, you could reach out to their PR company or find a feedback form somewhere uh, and voice your opinion. Because mm. right now, they are collecting opinions. I can guarantee mm. you that. And if you want your opinion seen by somebody, this is the best possible time yeah. I, uh, for you to get in touch. I've actually, I've actually had dinner one time with um, four of the... the um, what the Rico Pentax slash Pentax developers that you know that actually make the cameras. Um, so <laughs> it's uh, and and I, they were really really nice people as well. You know, so that I I I'm sure that the the feedback loop with those with that kind of people is going to be a very rich experience. Now let's talk about another feedback <clears throat> loop here, Martin. Uh, story number two uh, from Petapixel: the Digi Swap. Uh, let's film cameras shoot directly to an iPhone. Uh, 
And this feedback loop has been largely a negative one. Um, I know my opinion on it, and <laughs> I will share that in a, in a minute. But uh, what, what do you think about this, dare I say, monstrosity? <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm sort of on the fence as to whether or not I would want to pan this or or say you know it, it looks it it looks viable enough that if you are happy to be walking around with a monstrosity then you know it looks viable in a, a viable option um i i understand what you're saying as well it i mean it looks terrible and on the back i actually you in when you sent your notes over you mentioned the canon ae1 which i'm holding up here now as well I love the format it's a of this camera. Beautiful tactile experience with it, those yeah, cameras, it's right? A beautiful I mean, you, you old hold camera. it in your hands; you don't want to put it down, right? But if you stick this thing on the back, it becomes, like you say, a bit of a monstro monstrosity. So, now, what, what is this thing? Let, let, let's describe this. It, it's it's an attachment that you take the back off the camera because that's not not needed. You're not loading film into this thing, mm. uh, and you bolt on um, what is effectively a piece of ground glass. Um, that captures the image on where the film plane is. And we've seen uh, tools like this before that would use a Raspberry Pi to then image what appears on the ground glass. But instead of using a Raspberry Pi, you're then further on top of that, you're attaching your phone mm. um, and there's levers and adjustments in order to keep your camera, uh, your, uh, your phone in the right place so that its cameras are properly aligned. So you have your film camera, then this intermediary bolt-on device and there has to be enough space between all of these levels for the um the ground glass to properly focus where the film would normally be but then there also has to be a space between that and your phone because your phone camera lens will only focus so close so it has to be at at or beyond that minimum focusing distance within that and so you mm. have this staggered approach that really builds out quite far behind uh the original camera itself right mm. Mm. yeah i i mean it i think it looks fun and i i would i wouldn't use it i mean i i'm trying to be sort of uh diplomatic in that it looks fun and i'm actually amazed it works um but if i was if i want to use a camera like this i'd throw a film in it you know and and i i that's what i do occasionally even with my old ae1 i i love the uh the feel of these old cameras and the you know the workflow even like just for the for the audio here i mean you give this a Look at these sounds are like it sounds so good. Yeah, I mean it's great stuff to be working with, and I I, I totally get it. But if I'm going to be using a camera like this, I I'll just stick a film in it, you know. And and so for me, it's definitely not something that I would I myself would buy. But watching the well, videos, what if we hybridize the idea? Um, so uh, t t tell me what you see about the videos before I go on to my next uh, furtherance of this idea. Well, I, I watched the videos that they, they sent to the Petapixel guys. I mean, it looks like it's a Japanese company. We've got a lot of Japanese um, influence on the show today. Um, but they, they sent a video showing the um, DigiSwap in action. It, it looks better than I expected it to. Um, and it it's kind of 
the monstrosity thing kind of gets in the way, but it's also in some ways, it feels a little bit really right stuffish, if I dare say. But, you know, and that meaning that as a compliment, because really right stuff are, are amazing, make amazing gear. Yeah. But it's just, it's not for me in that if I was going to do that, I love film as well as digital. I mean, I, I, digital is my go-to. I, I, I would never be able to stop shooting digital, but I also enjoy film. And so for me, it's just, it, that makes it a no starter. Well, so what if, you know, that you've got that tactile experience, you know, that, that sound, yeah. the, the, the feel of you cocking the shutter and then the sound of the shutter tripping. Mm. That is, uh, it's classic. It made me want to pick up, uh, you know, w w one of those cameras again, just hearing it. So is it possible that some enterprising company, you know, through a Kickstarter campaign, possibly, um, could create a framework um, that your camera naturally slides into, your, your phone naturally slides into. Uh, hmm. And it wouldn't look like a traditional SLR because the lens on the camera wouldn't be centered in this new body contraption. Um, but it would have a manual shutter cocking mechanism and a manual shutter that would have similar sounds built around an app that properly interfaces with that so that you could configure uh, the, the ISO of, of your phone from a dial on the top of the mechanical camera that, you know, mm. plugs in and automatically changes the ISO of the, of the camera uh, uh, on the phone itself. Mm. And you could have that interoperability and put, and you'd, it would have to be a classic lens mount like Canon FD or Leica M or, you know, something that's purely mechanical. So you don't have to worry about autofocus and all mm. of that, uh, that machinery so that things can be, you know, fairly simplistic from that, uh, from that perspective. But you could have this device such that it, you could just slide your phone in. And for most phones, the cameras are kind of in the same location, roughly. I mm. mean, you'd have to have mm. the ability to, to modify it uh, to, to hit the different orientations and the different camera models and so on and uh, different interfaces for Android and iOS. And, and I understand that there's a certain level of complexity. It's not a one-size-fits-all type of scenario. Um, but even if it was just designed for, like, the iPhone, and because it's a fairly standardized platform uh, and you've got a large enough audience for that, I think that there would be a market for it. And I say that because if that showed up on Kickstarter, just like the K-Lens, I would buy it. Mm. Uh, I would mm. put some money down <laughs> on on that type of a project. And and I, I, I would throw on some of, I've got a couple of uh, vintage old um, uh, M-mount lenses that I picked up at, uh, one was at uh, a thrift store. Uh, I've got a cool old 3D lens and a couple of others that I've just collected over time. Uh, mm. and they would be fun to use and it would bring that mm. tactile experience back to the mobile, uh, sort of modern day workflow that I, I use my camera phone more and more often. And that's only a trend mm. that's going to continue. If I could bring the, the love, the joy <laughs> of that manual, uh, shutter mechanism and ev those sounds, really those sounds, uh, and, mm. and just like the, the clunking vibration of the camera when things operate inside of it in that mm. AE1, um, I, I would use it. I would buy it. Mm. I, I, I don't know if I would or not, but I, I definitely get the appeal. Um, and, and I, yeah, I mean, you can get a lot of these cameras, these old, I, I bought, um, this a one at a flea market. It works fine, uh, but it it was a f uh, like 
I forget how many, probably about 50 bucks, something like that. Um, it wasn't a huge amount of money. Um, I've got a couple of them and, you know, being able to re- use those, uh, I think the, the DigiSwap marketing mentioned the world, uh, the word, what was it? Um, upcycling. Uh, so not recycling, but upcycling. I, I like that. And I think that there is, there's always going to be a nostalgia uh, element to photography and so yeah i i get it and i i think if you were as you, as you say take away the monstrosity element by just sliding a, a phone in in a much sleeker format yeah it's it's definitely got more legs than uh, than the digiswap but yeah either way i think it's all it's all fun that's what it should be it, I guess that's what it boils down to, right? If, if you're having fun or not. Yeah. And uh, if you're having fun, then more power to you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, keep doing what you're doing because obviously your life is happier as a result of that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I guess that's the bottom line for any artistic endeavor at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let, let's move on to the next story. I don't really have a good segue for it, but um, a couple of episodes ago on my podcast, anyhow, uh, we, we talked about... Um, the the nft space Mm. and how it's really not a fantastic opportunity uh and i suggested that people send hate mail uh to me uh if you had such and (laughs) i'm surprised i didn't get a single hate mail message so uh maybe uh i i I don't know maybe i've just lost a lot of listeners uh in the process (laughs) of going dark for a couple of months and not as many people uh listened but uh, we're, we're back to NFTs briefly, and if you're not uh, happy about a conversation with that, then skip ahead 10 minutes. Uh, that's fine. But DP Review is reporting that uh, Meta, which is the parent company for Facebook, just like um, Alphabet is the parent company to Google. I don't know why they need to create these different names, but Meta is working on letting users create and sell NFTs on Facebook and Instagram. Martin? Mm. What do you think about NFTs? Um, it's it's a good question. I I actually created two NFTs a couple of months ago, um, costing me six hundred dollars to mint and list them. Which is like to me, I didn't realize that that was what it was going to cost. Um, I I tried to dabble in them, and I think that the the money that is exchanging hands for some of these things is is appealing. But the more I look into the world of NFTs and and what is actually selling for what are what's essentially silly money, um, the more I think, you know, it, it's it's just I don't know, it it's gains too for, good to be true. Well, it's gains for for rich people or people that are pseudo rich because of the numbers that they see. Um, I I would be much happier if NFTs were not total crap most of the time. Um, (laughs) And that that well, and and so you have you have a a scheme behind it. And I'm not saying that every scenario is like this, but let's say you're uber wealthy and you want to increase your wealth. Hmm. Well, uh, you can list an NFT. You could list list a whole collection of NFTs, Hmm. uh, and then say like you've got a collection of a hundred of them, Hmm. and they start selling. Hmm. They start selling for like ten to twenty thousand dollars a piece. I mean, they're being sold as Ethereum or whatever the cryptocurrency is, but an equivalent dollar value, you know, high value numbers 
And that entices somebody else to say, okay, well, there's value in this collection. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go and, uh, and I'm going to purchase one of, of these items. Um, but behind the scenes, they might not realize that the person that created the collection has a lot of wealth. And mm. they've actually been buying their own NFTs to inflate mm. the value of the ones that are still available on the market for which uh. third parties come in and purchase, which all of that money also filters back to the person that owns everything to begin with. And this is, this mm. is not a new um, uh, strategy here. This is done in the art world uh, for uh, probably centuries before now. I'm not sure exactly. Mm. I'm not mm. an art historian, but... I do know that uh, that is one way to inflate the value of art from a particular artist uh, is mm. by anonymously bidding on artwork from that same artist at a very high mm. level to increase the value of the artwork you already have from the same artist. And, and this whole idea, as soon as I established it as that, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Mm. And then there's the whole idea of, well, so you own a pointer on a, uh, on a, effectively a third-party platform so Mm. you get this code that exists on some ethereal uh blockchain Mm. uh that is not owned by anybody and it could be any blockchain for that matter it could be bitcoin or dogecoin or ethereum or uh, enter any of the hundreds of uh of blockchains Mm. and no uh, legal entity recognizes any of them. And that points towards a third party, usually a corporation, um, that then hosts content that they have no legal authority to say you own or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the whole thing seems like a house of cards. Uh, and mm-hmm. especially, you know, w- when you look at, and I don't know where you minted your stuff, um, Martin, w- w- was it OpenSea? I, I actually, I got in touch with a friend of mine um and asked personally if if he could send get me an invite for foundation uh, which is it seemed like to me at the best of the best of the um what's available but i i also before i did that i created account an account on open sea and that seemed more reasonable because it doesn't look as though they charge you for minting until uh, something actually starts to to move financially, so it it seems the better option. Well, and I, I looked up um, uh, OpenSea in the uh, U.S. Copyright.gov DMCA designated agent directory, and mm. they're there. Uh, Ozone Networks Inc. Uh, owns OpenSea, uh, and the reason why I looked this up is because. You know, just because you have an NFT of something, which is a digital pointer that says you own, like, as we previously mentioned on episode 163, I think, um, that, uh, yeah, you could have some arbitrary database saying that you own a square kilometer of space on the moon. But if it's Mm. not recognized by any government, you actually don't Mm. own a darn thing. Uh, Mm. And so just because you own an NFT doesn't mean you own the copyright to it. And uh, it, Mm. it it has not yet come to pass that my mm. artwork has shown up as an NFT, but I think it's only mm. a matter of time before it does. And mm. then I can send um, a DMCA takedown notice to their designated agent at copyright at opensea.io, and they mm. have a legal obligation to remove it. And so it doesn't yeah. matter if you purchased an NFT, it doesn't matter how much Ethereum you paid for it, if you didn't own the copyright to it, you actually don't own anything. And, yeah. and the, the silly thing is, there, there's not necessarily a contract 
stating that anywhere in the purchasing agreement. So, and I haven't seen this happen, but mm. uh, it would be an interesting thought experiment to say that it's possible that mm. I could list my own image as an NFT that somebody mm. then buys and does something else with and maybe sells it to a third party, but I didn't necessarily allow that. And mm. then somewhere down the chain, I say, yep, that, that usage is no longer allowed and send a takedown notice to OpenSea. And they don't do investigations. You can mm. file a counter notice uh, if you know how to do so. Uh, and mm. then they kind of wash their hands of it. But they would have to react to that, even if mm. I was the originator of that content. And there's nothing saying that I can't upload my own image 10 different times as different mm. NFTs changing a pixel here or there, or mm. maybe not even changing a pixel at all. I don't think you even need to change it. It's that the, the part that is, is um, non-fungible is the, it's the token. The, it's the one, yeah, it's the token that you attach it to. So, yeah, I mean, you could, you could create an NFT of the same, Im same image because um, people are buying the token that says that that is their copy. Um, you know, I, it's, I'm kind of um, being hypocritical in a way because the you know I've spent a lot of time trying to market and get someone to buy the two that I created because I put beca one on OpenSea. Yeah, I got nothing. And 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 I feel as though you know I look on Twitter and see people buying a copy of the the Gibbon with a cigar in his mouth, um, and I think you know what. I, although I'm not going to say to anyone that they what they should and shouldn't like, it just seems to me that a lot of what is selling for very very high money, high amounts of money, is is it, I don't know mediocre to to not so good, and and yet there are there are people that are trying to sell real art on there, and it goes nowhere because why. You know that, that it's that why that's getting me. Um, so that's what's well, making me. And, and again, it goes back to who's buying what and who's actually real people buying things versus the same entity that's hiring and um, uh, separating their their wallets into different accounts mm. and then mm. buying their own stuff back and creating this false sense of um, of of wealth for people buying them and then selling them for three times what they bought it for and then mm. you got all these success stories that go into the minds of individuals that see this as a get rich quick scheme uh, and uh, you know this whole too good to be true mentality and and I think that uh, in many ways it is but let's get back to the idea of Facebook getting mm. into the in, yep. into the market here and I yeah, okay I think it's a bad idea. Um, mm. Because I, it's not that it legitimizes NFTs at all. Um, I think it further illegitimizes them because then it's the, the whole idea of an NFT is it's decentralized. And yet mm. every place where you actually obtain them, the pointer is decentralized, but it only exists in a centralized private entity. And the mm -hmm. more powerful that entity is, the more they don't really care about you or your work. And Facebook is one of those companies that I send hundreds of takedown notices to mm. a month. I, mm. I send over a thousand a year to Facebook <laughs> uh, or companies under the umbrella. Facebook and Instagram are the two biggest. Um, and I think it's only a matter of time before this NFT space is so misunderstood and misused mm. that uh, 
it, it becomes something where copyright infringement is is rampant if it isn't already. Uh, and it uh, will further destabilize when more and more larger companies want to stick their fingers into this, when it shouldn't have any large companies sticking their fingers anywhere near it, uh, as the mm. whole point of the blockchain originally should have been. Mm. Agreed. Is that, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think that um, Facebook... Similarly, Google um, have their their ideas about how to work with individuals' content. Um, is it's all about making money. That's obviously they're they're corporations. They're only. Well, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be that their only goal is to make money. Um, but many years ago, when I was um, still using YouTube. I got very frustrated with Google because they would never put any way, any method in place for me to be able to pin a, a token or something to a video to show or prove that I had paid for the music. And I, I had, I ended up deleting all of my work, everything that I posted on on uh, YouTube, Google, uh, on YouTube, because Every time I posted something, I would get a, a robot would come along and say, "This has got a copy, you know, a copyright ban, a copyright strike," and it was all about. It was all for things that I had a legal license for. I had the CEO of one of the music content places uh, that I that I bought a license from give me a personally signed license for the music that Google, that, that YouTube slash Google were telling me I had used illegally and all they're doing, they, they don't, they don't want to give you the me a mechanism to prove that you're legal because 99.9% .9 of the people that are putting videos on Google are not legal. And, and so what they're doing is they're forcing you to, to put ads on something to help them to make money, to pay for the music that you've already paid for. So, you know, yeah. take it, um, that, that is, and, and on the other side of things too, mm. uh, Martin, like, um, now I, I should state that you could, uh, formulate a proper, uh, counter notice, a DMCA t uh, counter notice, send it to the DMCA registered agent, uh, for YouTube, and they would have to respond and rescind their commentary, uh, you know, their, their ban or their flag or whatever it is on, I, I uh, did on it. their system. I, but you, you know, the moment. The moment they take the they take the strike away, three more robots come along and put an, and put new strikes on it. There was no that's the problem. Yep. It's the mechanism. There's no mechanism to stop that happening. That was what got well, me. And, and also, I've had some people <clears throat> take my work and use it as like album covers for music. Mm. And I can send like these are small independent artists that aren't really making a dime on it. So I'm not going to get a lawyer involved. I'm just going to send mm. the takedown notices and uh, and away you go. And so I do that. And, you know, at SoundCloud, I've got their, uh, of course, their registered agent. I send the notice to them and they take it down. YouTube, however, sends me this convoluted response saying, oh, it looks like you're trying to take down content that is uh, registered to some other entity. Uh, and you'd have to contact them to sort it out because they're referring to the music. And I'm not referring to the music at all, but it's just a canned response automated yeah. from a robot saying, no, no, we have in our database that you don't own this. Um, mm. 
but I'm saying, yeah, <laughs> I do. And you don't get to debate this because that's not in the, D- the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. There's no room for your interpretation, for your judgment of this. If you start making judgments, then you're owning it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I have to send a couple of letters back and forth as I continue to get canned responses. And after about the third one, I think the algorithm on their end kicks it out to an actual person. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, or maybe it's keywords that I put in, like threatening legal action or forwarding to mm-hmm. my uh, my attorneys or what have you. And you, you throw some of those words in there, it might kick it out of that cycle. And then finally, I get a further automated response back saying that we've removed uh, your image from this. Uh, there's so many robots involved in this mm-hmm. process. It's maddening for mm-hmm. me trying to defend my own work, but also from your perspective, defending your legitimate licenses. And it's only mm-hmm. going to get worse from here. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I no longer use YouTube, and and it's and it's to my to in a, in a way to my detriment because that's where the audience is. But I I prefer to create my own audience and and have people watch my videos via Vimeo, um, which is in in many ways a better company. Um, but I mean, Vimeo also have a copyright strike mechanism, but they just if they try to put a copyright strike on something and you tell them that you have a license for it, it never happens again. And that is what Google needs, but they or, yeah. or YouTube. And they just didn't put it in place. So that's why none of my videos are, are on YouTube. Facebook does have a mechanism uh, built in uh, that I have access to, but it's currently only associated with video content. Um, and it will allow you to upload your sample videos Uh, And it will scour the Facebook ecosystem to discover where that content shows up on Mm. Facebook. Now, Mm. I don't do a lot of video content and the stuff that I do is not going to be, um, you know, fodder for copyright infringement specifically. A lot of my images are, however. And so Facebook has one, but not the other, not for stills. I was tempted actually to uh, upload a video as a slideshow of a bunch of my stills that are often infringed and seeing if Facebook would, you know, use its own internal structure to flag all Mm. of the stills. I haven't gone that far yet, but that should be on my to-do list. Mm. Other companies manually review everything. Uh, Mm. WordPress, the company behind WordPress, uh, Automatic. If you're hosting a website through WordPress.com, then any takedown notices go through Automatic and they manually review everything and they always send a response saying, yep, we've reviewed it, we've taken it down accordance to the DMCA and they do a great job. Um, Mm. And even some social media platforms, I can tell, are taking uh, a a personal approach to this. Um, Mm. VK.com, which is like the Facebook of Russia. Um, Mm. I'm actually surprised how responsive they are to take down notices in laws from another country Uh, Mm, within almost minutes they Mm. have a response and you could tell that it's generated by a person and not a computer because the the response Mm. time will will vary uh, considerably and uh and yeah uh, they they take down all of my content without question and it's great some companies out there are doing this right but Mm. uh others others are not unfortunately and And, it it all comes down to ownership of content yeah, I, I, I don't really have quite as negative a view of Facebook, but I, you know, that I, I don't know, I, I can't see them being any better than, than uh, Google on this. So, yeah, probably yeah. not the best company to be working with NFTs. But then again, the whole NFT thing, I'm, I'm really still very much up on the air, up in the air on it. Um, if someone would would give me five, um. Fifth, what five thousand dollars for one of mine? Maybe I'd change my mind. 
<laughs> so, so, so yeah, if, me too. Yeah, but I mean, if someone if someone out there wants to make this a really good episode, and with regards to NFTs, just go to a foundation and buy one or both of my NFTs. And then, and then we were at the same time, note. it would change my opinion, not so much as the core concept would be, uh, you know, my, my ideas would still be the same and somewhat skeptical. I might have a more positive outlook on, as to where things are going. But right now, things are not going in a direction that is uh, uplifting the individual artists, but rather uplifting some shadow entity in behind that seems to be pulling the strings because there's no regulation of this. And people mm. are stating that this is such a wonderful thing because there's no regulation but then as soon as there's no regulation then you get mm. all sorts of nefarious people behind the scenes uh, that uh, are saying yippee i'm not regulated like i would be in regular markets so yeah um yeah, yeah it's a, it's and, a, and what a was that other thing i read that something someone skimmed 34 million worth of ethereum from um a hack via a hack you know i mean being able to do that in this, I, I I went with Ethereum and or Ethereum, and it's uh, you know it's like okay, there was a guy in Japan did it with Bitcoin, he, the the guy who was running Bitcoin here or something. Oh, just skim a few million off, no one will ever notice. And okay, right. Well, what what federal government or bank is going to look at that and say, oh well, somebody stole your uh, your digital uh, cryptocurrency that we mm. have no regulation or knowledge of? Well, we're mm. not going to help you. You're on your own. You chose to have <laughs> a decentral uh, decentralized uh, wealth system that we have no access to or any way to enforce or police or govern. Uh, you're on your own, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's very strange. Well, it's it's, it's we- well, a weird time. It is. Uh, it, let's get into our last story again. Segways are difficult for me uh, today. I don't know if it's <laughs> just I don't have any, uh, not enough caffeine in me today. But uh, D- DP review, and I've seen this reported everywhere. In fact, a, a, a good friend of uh, of mine, Steve Brazel, pointed this out to me. And I immediately went to read the, the rules and regulations on it. Um, uh, DP Review is reporting, uh, share your best iPhone macro photos for a chance to be featured across Apple's social media and ad campaigns. So Apple mm-hmm. is um, is running a, uh, a contest for macro photos taken with the new iPhone 13 Pros specifically because they have a, a wonderful new macro functionality, which I've used, uh, and it's actually quite good. But they're doing mm-hmm. a, a contest right now where, you know, share your best work and uh, you've got a chance to be featured by Apple. And all is well and good, but whenever a, a photo contest comes along, uh, I inherently, I don't read anything about what they're purporting in terms of, you know, what the, the high life of a winner is going to be and, and anything else. I immediately go to the terms and conditions or rules and regulations or whatever you want to call it, read the fine print uh, and, uh, and discuss about what you give away. When, when you enter into such a contest. Now, Martin, how do you feel about contests that ask too much? Um, I, I remember many years ago, I was going to do a contest. This was, this, this was once of twice when I was going to do a contest. Um, and I remember spending a weekend printing, and by Sunday evening, uh, this is when you still, you still sent in prints of your work. And right. I, on the Sunday evening after I'd been printing, I think I'd done uh, 30 or so prints, um, they were all laid out. 
and my wife and I stood over these prints and and she said and and once you've put this in they get they can do whatever they want with this work right and I said yeah she said let's not do it you know let's just keep these prints and I didn't send them um because I, for exactly the reason you're talking about yeah they they were it was overreaching conditions and I have actually only done one other contest, and it's a long story as to why that was not a good experience, so I won't go into that. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm I'm really just not big on competitions as such, partly because most of them, have, they want to take a lot. They want either the, the copyright uh, outright handed over to them or exclusive use, and exclusivity is expensive. I've sold one stock photograph with five-year exclusive use, and it was for a lot of money. And th- yeah. you don't get that kind of money. Um, if, if, if this competition, they don't even say how much they're going to give the, to the 10 winners. Oh, that's the worst of it. Oh, they, they right. say, oh, you'll get paid. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you, can, you can qualify that contractually by paying me a dollar. Right. Uh, and then you can hide that amount behind a non-disclosure agreement so that I'm not legally allowed to say it to anybody, uh, you know, with a penalty of a million dollar fine. And I'm mm. not saying that they're going to do that. I'm just saying they that could. they could. It, <laughs> yeah. I, I wish that there was more transparency with what they would actually be awarding people here mm. Uh, mm. That, that we would all be able to see. But I, I want to read one paragraph from the terms and conditions. And this mm. might make some people's eyes glaze over, but there's important language in here that I think is uh, you know, worth discussing. And furtherance, how actually providing a submission is authenticated, which is an entirely other discussion, but it's one that I think that we should touch on here as well. So, mm. providing a submission constitutes the entrance consent to give the sponsor a royalty-free, irrevocable, non-exclusive license to use, reproduce, publish, and display su- uh, such submissions in whole or in part on a worldwide basis in any form, media, or technology now known or later developed um, for one year uh, for purposes of implementing the contest. Now, that's that's normal, right? You, you have to display a submission. So, they have mm. to have the ability to do that. Mm. However, um, for any winner, now, they don't stipulate if you get to approve this winningness or not. They just say for any winningness. Winner, um, uh, <laughs> You know, pr- uh, providing a submission constitutes the winner's consent uh, to give the sponsor an irrevocable exclusive license. And mm. There's that word exclusive uh, to use, reproduce, modify, publish, create derivative works from uh, and display such submissions uh, in whole or in part on a worldwide basis and in- to incorporate it into other works in any form, media or technology now known or later developed uh, for the legal term of protection of co- copyright, including future legal extensions thereof. Um, so this is not a five-year license. Years. This is for, for well, Minimum. 50 years past your death or something. And it, of course, there's <laughs> ways to uh, elongate even further. Um, so, uh, it included, but not limited to, uh, to any uh, and all internet media, including the sponsors' websites and properties on social media networking sites such as Apple Newsroom, Apple.com, Apple Twitter, Apple Instagram, Apple Weibo, and Apple WeChat, on billboards in Apple stores, Apple internal exhibitions, in digital advertising and exhibitions, the photographers 
who shoot the final 10 winning photos will receive a licensing fee for use of such photos in the manner <laughs> described above. And it goes on, but that tells the story that they mm. would have an exclusive right to the image in perpetuity. Uh, and, yeah. and that also is difficult because if I've already posted that image somewhere, then am I in violation of my own copyright because I've then assigned an exclusive license to that to uh, to Apple for which Apple could contractually sue me for having previously <laughs> posted the image to Flickr? You know, mm. there's, uh, there's a lot of reasons why that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Mm. But the very beginning of that paragraph, providing a submission. Mm. Martin, did you read on the on the main website for this content what actually a submission entails? I uh, I didn't know. What is it? So there is one concrete submission uh, mm. where you could send an email to shot on iPhone at apple.com using the file format first name underscore last name underscore macro underscore iPhone model. And the subject line must be shot on iPhone macro uh, challenge submission. And so that yeah. is a pretty explicit submission to the contest. And I don't think anybody would contest that. However, mm. um, if you share a photo taken with the iPhone 13 Pro uh, or Pro Max on Instagram and Twitter using the hashtags, hashtag shot on iPhone and hashtag iPhone macro challenge to participate in the challenge. So that means that just by posting it on social media with those two tags, mm. that Apple will constitute that as a submission to the contest for mm. which if you're chosen as a winner, that you have no uh, authority to reject according to their terms and conditions that they have the exclusive right to use your images. And that I don't think is legal. Mm. I'm not a lawyer. But I don't think you're explicitly allowing the uh, the agreement of the terms and conditions by simply using two hashtags on a social media platform. Mm. People fish through hashtags. You you type it in and and you get a list of things that you can possibly use. Just back, just tap in a few extra tags should not be enough to to bind you. I, I imagine that they will once they've used or picked up images via that kind of submission they will probably say you know you you're winning like you said earlier how do you have to agree to your winningness <laughs> is, is it is it something that they're going to say okay you you have been selected do you accept the position of a winner if that's there then it can it could i don't think it's illegal but it's um yeah it's definitely a little bit on you know on the fence whether that is is legal in in itself and you know I, for the behind the shot critique podcast that i do with steve brazel um we have a Flickr group that you have to uh, you have to join a specific group mm. and then you have to put a a tag bts critique on your images that are shared with that group. And that I think has mm. a certain level of explicivity um, mm. where, you know, you are deliberately allowing us to you have talk to share about your images. With the and, and, and even if not, we'd probably still be covered by, uh, by fair use in, in many ways because we're using it for critiquing purposes and we're not making any money off of it and, mm. and all of those mm. different pillars of the, uh, of the uh, copyright exemptions for that. But, in this case, I don't think that that would qualify. And I almost want to test this. I, I want to take some <laughs> of the images that I shot in the, uh, the iPhone uh, 13 Pro macro mode, share them on Twitter 
with those hashtags and then deliberately in the same text say, I do not submit this photo to this contest uh, and I'm not bound <laughs> by the terms and conditions therein and, and see if it gets picked up. See, see if, anything, uh, if anything happens with that. It would be interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, the the yeah. fun thing, like you said, how much they're going to pay is, is interesting. It should be, <clears throat> excuse me, it should be for these kind of uses a minimum of thirty to forty thousand dollars per image, but I'll bet that's not what's coming coming across to those people. Um, so my but my my um, overall thought on this is because at the end of the day, still being shared by Apple is a big thing, and it's and it in a way it is pos possibly enough just being shared that way is possibly enough for some people to want to do this. And if I think at the end of the day, it's just looking at your own values. If you know what you're getting into and being having your work shared by Apple to a very wide audience is enough, then go ahead and, and throw your images in here. It, it You're not going to be putting in images that you – are are not happy to be shared that way. So, it you know, I'm, and I'm talking about not the hashtags here, but actually doing if you want to submit work and any sort of um, accidental submission aside, if you wanted to do this, then it's definitely something that I think some people will, well, many people will probably be interested in. And and I'm I wouldn't say don't do it, um, but you've got to understand that. If you do do it, then you've, you've, it's a very, very um, restrictive, uh, if not, well, it's exclusive for the, for the top 10. If it, an exclusive license for a photographer means you can't do anything with it uh, again. Um, it, sometimes you're allowed to make prints, personal prints, um, various things, but generally you're going you're gonna to be saying goodbye to your photo if it's accepted. Um, and I, without knowing how much money that actually is going to entail, then you've just got to be happy with the fact that sh the, the sharing and the exposure is is going to be pretty big. Um, how you know you often see on on commercials and things a little your name in the corner is probably all you're going to get. You're not going to get a link to your website. You're not going to get lots of new followers and things. So yeah, it's it's. Probably. They, they do state in, in the terms, and it's good that you mentioned that, that you do get credit. And it's uh, up to Apple's uh, prerogative how and where that credit is given for the usage. But it should it's almost usually always be just given. your name. You know, yeah. A lot of the time when you see it on the commercials and things, it's a copyright symbol with the name of the photographer. And, and that's it. So it's not a link. It's not, you know, and, and that itself, I mean, I, I was on Japanese TV. They, there was a camera crew followed followed along with on one of my tours here for the winter, uh, at one of my winter tours, and they did they spent three days with us. While that was on the air, there was no link to me. My name was written in Japanese because I'm I'm actually a Japanese national, um, and still my website had a huge spike of people who had obviously gone off and Googled my name and ended up on my website. So having your name out there on a, on a very uh, popular format is valuable. Uh, and I'm, that's why I'm saying if people understand what they're giving up, then the, the benefits are big. And so I, I definitely wouldn't say that this is something that I wouldn't do. Um, I personally, I don't even have an iPhone 13. 
Um, the iPhones are so expensive now. I'm I'm out of the two year um, upgrade cycle that I used to do. To me now, an iPhone is a five year purchase, and so I um, I I don't know. I I won't be doing this, but for some people. It's maybe uh, an enticing proposition, and if it is, then fine. You know, I, I wouldn't tell people not to do it. Yeah, um, I, I just uh, caveat emptor, I suppose, is the uh, yeah, yeah is the Latin phrase of the day. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, c- keeping that in mind, um, uh, there's nothing to say that you can't shoot one absolutely fantastic image for your own portfolio change the angle slightly, uh, take another one. And those are technically separate <laughs> yeah. works. Uh, yeah. so who knows exactly the rules don't specify anything to that end. So, mm. uh, regardless yeah. there's Apple for you. And, uh, looks like it is, you know, a lot of exposure that you could get from that. I, I guess yeah. a, a follow-up question for you, Martin, if national geographic came to you and said that mm. they wanted to use one of your photos on their cover, but they wouldn't pay you, would mm. you let them? Um, probably. Be- partly, partly because, well, it depends. I mean, they're making a lot of money on it. You know, they, they, sell their, they sell their magazine in digital and f- in physical form. They're making a lot of money on it. I, I'd be tempted to refuse. I refuse work all the time because of various reasons. I... With National Geographic, though, if they could explain why they had no money to 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 pay for a use, and I was happy with that reason, I would probably allow them to because of the respect that I have for the publication. Um, but I'd have to I'd have to be happy with the reason. Um, like you know, Martin, we're about to go bankrupt, and you know the the world has changed. We have no mon- no budget for for images anymore. That's the same the world over. I would consider it, um, but usually in a commercial exchange or tran- transaction, if the if the the publication or whatever the the use is is a commercial use, I would refuse. Um, probably with National Geographic, I, just because of who they are, I would probably say, yeah, you know what, I'm I'm fine with that because you you're one of the best. Um, historically, one of the best publications on the planet. So, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, hypocritical. Uh, I, and I, I think I'd probably be in the same boat if if they came to me with a, a zero uh, zero dollar uh, licensing agreement. I'd say, okay, well, what am I really getting out of this? Mm. Um, you know, I, I, the exposure is one thing. I get that. Yeah. And but but don't throw your weight around just because you can. Yeah. Um, when when you do have the money to pay people, because it's going to come back and bite you. Mm. And I'm not saying that National Geographic ever would do that. I'm yeah. just using them as an example of being some of the uh, the very respected upper echelon of, oh, wow, your photo is on the cover of National Geographic. It doesn't mm. get much better than that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've got a couple of publications uh, that are going to be featuring my work uh, in the coming months. And um, I can't recall if I have non-disclosure agreements signed, so I shouldn't mention who they are, but mm. um, they are paying me. Uh, and they're paying me uh, a, a very fair price for mm. featuring my work. And um, and I didn't have to negotiate that. They came to me with a price and I looked at the number and I said, yes, that's fair. 
That mm. hasn't always been the case. Oh, yeah. There have been times where I have been approached by people to license my work at zero value and I push back mm. and I end up getting something for it. Um, mm. Other times the value that they present to me really is not representative of the industry's norms. Mm. And I share with them some previous invoices for other mm. usage and they mm. matched it. Um, mm. I guess I have the luxury of having some previous uses to say, okay, well, uh, I have evidence saying that my work is worth this much. So mm. either you pay that much or you don't uh, mm. and you don't get to use it at all and I don't mean mm. to be playing hardball here but I'm not able to pay the bills it, with exposure unless that exposure f- is directly tangible to my reputation right it's it's about being fair like you said you know what's a fair price and 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 we have to be happy with the price that we're given for our work and if and and this is both for our work as in our finished work in the form of photographs or our time you know that I, I've just turned down a, a job because the the amount offered does not match the venue and the you know that they, they they want to pay a lot less than they wanted to pay a lot less than what I would consider a fair price for that work. So I okay, fair enough. But thank you, thank you very much for the offer, but. I can't do it at that price. And, and I've met the same thing with camera clubs mm. and not all of them, mind you, but some of them say, oh, we're a small group of a dozen people. Uh, you know, we, we don't really have a budget for this. It's like, well, if you want me to do a presentation to an, a smaller intimate group that could have back and forth conversations with me on the Zoom call, if it's that small of a group, then ask everybody to pitch a couple of dollars into a pot. Mm. I mean, uh, you're basically hosting a mini workshop at that point. And and yes, if you don't have budget from your membership dues, you can find another way if you really want to make it happen. I've done camera club talks for pretty low fees, you know, because, because that's all they had. And uh, so I, I'm kind of okay with with working for a small amount if I'm happy with the agreement. But when when it's obvious that the person that is asking you to do the the talk has is either uh, have a, has a lot more money in the background. I mean, I I can't like you said. I I didn't I didn't even get to the point where I signed an NDA. It's not that I'm not going to just out of respect. I'm not going to give the name, but it was a a company that I was um, I would have expected to be able to pay a little more. And I thought, you know, it's and it's it's fine. We it's both amicably did, agreed that it was not going to be the best thing to do at this point. But yeah, I mean, some people. I think, and part of it as well is the ge- the geography. Japan apparently doesn't pay professionals very much money for for what other countries. I mean, the U.S. in the same situation would have easily matched what I what I asked for the for the job. Right. Um, there was a guy on TV here a few months ago. Um, I didn't see it, but my wife mentioned it to me um, because we talk about pricing a lot. Um, you know the, the Japanese mentality. If the price of a of a loaf of bread goes up two yen, it's on the news, and they interview housewives that all of a sudden are going to be devastated because they can't afford the bread anymore. You know they can they can afford a, a Louis Vuitton bag, but they can't afford a, a twenty you know two or three yen increase in the bread. Now we talk about this sort of stuff a lot. What? this guy was saying apparently was there was a, i think it was a sword maker 
someone that made traditional Japanese swords, which are like folded, the metal is folded 20 times. It takes weeks to make a sword. And I, if I you have want- a, a, a kitchen knife like that, and it was ridiculously expensive. Oh, yeah. So, so this guy was telling this, uh, the craftsman, the person who made the swords, you're selling this, 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 the amount of work that goes into this, and you're selling it for, I think it was something like $20,000. He said, I could buy this from you for $20,000, take it to the US and sell it for $200,000. Why don't you sell it in the US for $200,000? Because it's worth this amount. And, and, it, it's this mentality that my time is worth so little that, you know, they, they don't have the respect for themselves in many ways to say, this is what my time is worth. And that was my point. You know, I, I've done camera club talks for, for much less than I refused for this job, but it's, it's about what I believe I should be getting for that. And so fairness, our acceptance is is really important when we do any kind of work. Um, and so whether we feel that it's a fair price for the cover of Nat Geo or for a camera club talk or whatever, as long as we feel that we're getting paid what we should be for it, then the price itself is is completely negotiable. Very well said. And uh, just to put a little bit of icing on that cake, um, I had submitted some photos to a um, a photo contest in in Canada, um, uh, Visualizing Science uh, from uh, Canadian Science Publishing. And in the terms uh, terms and conditions, of course, I always read these, uh, Mm. they stated that one of the um, uh, potential benefits of or, you know, uh, ways your images could be used is they might end up on the covers of some scientific journals. Mm. And that doesn't mean that you won any prize money or got a gift or anything for that. It's just, you know, that was one of the line items that, okay, you're agreeing that this is a possibility. And I said, mm. you know what? That's fine. I mean, mm. uh, to be on the cover of a scientific journal is, uh, I mean, that would be a feather in my cap, even if I get $0 for it. Mm. Well, turns out my images are now featured on the cover of uh, of two Canadian scientific journals, the Canadian <laughs> Journal of Physics and the Canadian Journal of Microbiology in their oh, 2022 editions. So thank you. And I, I don't, I mean, would I have liked to have gotten paid a, a bit for that? Sure. Mm. Am I satisfied with the way it happened? Yes, very much so. And, mm. Uh, mm. and I'll be able to, one of them is still a print publication and they're sending me a copy of that. Uh, nice. That I will have it framed up, and I've got the the PDF artwork of both of them, so that I could print off the other one and have them match if I need to. So, uh, um, but I mean that, that's okay. Uh, there, there, there's no issue w- with that on, in my perspective. Similar to the National Geographic cover idea, but mm, uh, mm. Y- y- you take those uh, wins as you want them, and just yeah, make sure yeah. that you know your worth. That's that's the important thing. Knowing what you're worth, being having the um, or being brave enough to ask for it is another thing. You know, people nah, are yeah. often too scared to talk about money, and you have to talk about money if you're doing this for business. You know. Yep. Uh, well said. Well said. Well, that uh, that winds down the uh, the stories for this episode. Uh, uh, Martin, you want anything you want to plug before we get into the uh, the picks of the week? Um, not really. I mean. My audience knows where to find me. For your audience, come and find me at martinbaileyphotography.com and check out my um, the menus at the top there, which are linked to everything. Um, I 
my clock, my desk clock that I was talking about earlier for, for the iPhone is going to be beautiful. And I, I really hope that some people um, want to check that out. So um, come along. It, there's also a, a newsletter um, subscription form, and one of the options is to get notifications of iPhone app releases and, and updates. Um, so if you're interested and you think you might forget, come and sign up for that. Um, but otherwise, um, I think just you know check out my website and see if there's anything and, there you uh, like. And uh, I, I encourage everybody to do that because uh, not only is Martin a good friend of mine, he's also an excellent photographer, an excellent educator, and you can find more episodes of his podcast there and all of his apps as well. Um, people listening from Martin's side, yeah. you can find me at uh, photogeekweekly.com. That's where the podcast is and all the show notes and all previous episodes. Uh, but me personally, my website is doncom.ca, D-O-N. K-O-M dot C-A or dot B-G. I have that domain name too. So if I saw uh, that in you your email. The, yeah, you have the Bulgarian persuasion. You can uh, you put the, it just goes to the same website right now. Uh, but uh, I'm glad that I can officially register because it's a, actually a pretty tricky process yeah. uh, to register. I don't know what the uh, registering a Japanese TLD is, but you have to be a Bulgarian permanent resident or citizen and show proof of that in person to an office here in one of the major cities in order mm. to get registration. Yeah, there, there are some restrictions. I think the co-JP, which should be for a company, um, you have to prove that you're actually a company in Japan. Um, so they, they have similar checks for certain things. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I always, I like to get, I like to use the com, the dot com. Um, but I have some short links. My short link generator is mbp.ac, and I use that as academy in my own mind. Um, but all of my short links are run from mbp.ac slash whatever. Um, so that's all. It's a nice short one. Isn't, uh, just uh, as a brief aside here, as we are well over time, but isn't the .tv uh, top-level domain TLD, isn't that owned by the island nation of Tuvalu? And then there was some talk a few years uh, ago about rising sea levels, wiping out some of those island nations. And what if the, the nation of Tuvalu no longer exists? What happens to all <laughs> of the .tv domains? And the world is in a very interesting place these days. Yeah. Well, they made a whole yeah. lot of different, like you, you can get guru and all sorts, can't you? You can buy your own now. Uh, like uh, Canon owns .canon. Uh, really? For example. I, didn't and I think know you've got to pay some stupid amount of money, like $100,000 in order to yeah. maintain your own top level domain now. It's possible. Anything's possible. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I definitely would like MBP, but I doubt that if at $100,000 or so, it's not going to happen. Uh, unless hey, somebody someone wants buys to buy some of, one of Martin's some of my NFTs. NFTs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, pay pay through the nose for one of those. Pay ten times what it's worth times two, uh, and uh, then Martin can get .mvp as a top level domain. Come on, make it happen yeah. for the man. Yeah, uh, we all want to see that. Uh, and you you know what? With all of my, I'm sure you'd spend your money on. <laughs> with all of my tours going out of the window uh, for the last few years, if someone wants to buy some of my NFTs, the money's got much better places to go to than buying the top level domain. But um, either right way, on. either way. Uh, um, I, I hear you on that front too. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into the picks here. You've got a really yep. interesting one that, uh, I haven't seen been picked at least on this, uh, uh on this podcast before, uh, on photo geek weekly, but, uh, it's one that I am familiar with. So why don't you fill in the listeners? 
Sure. You know, I for many years I've been using Photo Magico, Boink Software's Photo Magico to make um, slideshows on the Mac. I used to use a different package on Windows, and they went away. Uh, especially because I, well, they went away afterwards, but I switched to Mac, started using Photomagico um, to make slideshows. And they have recently switched, they've released version six and switched to a uh, subscription model, which is not going to be the best. You know, some people don't like subscription models. I'm quite happy with it. It's like 10 bucks a month and you can stop and start if you want to. But and they I, have a free it, trial, a, a two-week yeah, free trial as well. Yeah, and uh, but Photo Magico, it's just a really good way of making nice-looking um, videos uh, or slideshows of images, and of course you can embed video in there. Um, pretty much all of my video slideshows are, are created with Photo Magico, but their their new version six, um, I have, I'm just getting into it. I've not, re- I can't tell you what's new and everything, um, but I. The interface is has become slightly more refined. It's a bit sleeker, and I'm just really happy with it. I'm, I'm starting to work on a new slideshow of my microscope uh, work, which I should once again just quickly thank Don at least partially for getting me into, <laughs> um, because it was it was your influence from your book um, that that got me uh, started thinking about it. Uh, so I. I uh, I I'm, can't wait to really dive in, and over the next few weeks, I'll be releasing a podcast about how I've been using it and share the the uh, the new slideshow as well. So, Photomagico, I from believe, Boink's software. Uh, if if I'm not mistaken, that Photomagico lets you kind of throw everything into a, a roughly automatic slideshow. It's it's got that option to just kind of uh, take your bucket of images and start things off for you. Um, yeah. But then to but then you go in and you can customize everything to the nth degree. Absolutely. Uh, once it kind of gives you a foundation of of how everything is loaded, you don't have to start from scratch like you do on like a an Adobe Premiere timeline and carefully orchestrate every single little thing from the beginning to the very mm. end. This gives you something to start from and then work with and massage to your liking. Yeah. I mean, you can you can take a piece of music. Say you have a piece of music that's three minutes long, throw in a hundred photos and it will automatically make them all sort of fit. And it looks at the beat and everything as well. So, you know, you, you can, you can get a lot out of the, um, I don't know if it's AI, but there's definitely a lot of intelligence behind how it does all of those automated stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I generally will just go in and, and set a time. Uh, I generally create my own music for the slideshows as well. So it's, it's very highly customized, but. Yeah, as you say, Don, it's it's a really good platform for uh, not so much platform, the software uh, for tweaking the hell out of it and making it really look good. Uh, really until really computers nice. are sentient, I think AI is just a uh, a term for fancy algorithms. Yeah, so if you have yeah. fancy algorithms, you can call it AI all you want. Everybody else is for that matter. So uh, <laughs> call it AI, sure. Uh, yeah. it's, it's got artificial intelligence in there, deep learning, whatever term you wish to utilize. But yeah. if it's matching images to the beat of a music, sure. Why not? Yeah. Call it AI. <laughs> um, yeah. What's your pick, my, uh, uh, my, my pick is, is uh, kind of going back to the iPhone challenge. It was reminded that I hadn't actually picked it, and it's something that I've used for my macro work on my iPhone 13 Pro. And um, it, one of the things that uh, an iPhone in the past has always been good for is loading up the default camera app, not really having to worry about anything, pressing a button, and it works. 
And Apple excels at that. Uh, mm. But when I want fine-tuned control, you don't find it there. Mm. So I have been using uh, an app that uh, ba- basically there's three kind of four pillars that, that I require for an app to have. Mm. Um, uh, the, the, the lesser of the, uh, of the four is uh, manual exposure because so many apps do that to, to control the exposure. But the other three is uh, shooting raw. Uh, so I get a DNG file out, out the backside, which is you know perfect if I do want to massage things uh, on my computer afterwards, but I don't really care about the raw file on, uh, on the phone itself. Mm. But you know, if, if I am doing some professional work, you want that. Another mm. one is, uh, manual focus, especially for macro work, being able to manually focus those lenses, uh, is so critical because I, I mean, l- let's face it. Um, most of the time, if you're at the closest focusing distance you can get to, um, you might be too close. And this is just true mm. for macro photography in general. And then an autofocus algorithm is going to focus to something further away, not the mm. thing that you want. So mm. manually being able to set that focus where you want is critical and to know exactly where that focus is, to have focus peaking of some kind, um, no matter how big your screen is, uh, diffraction limiting and exactly where that depth of field is going to fall. And so many things can be much better understood when you get a little fuzzy blue or red line around the mm-hmm. image showing you where that focus point is roughly uh, associated with that is such a huge asset uh, mm-hmm. and checking all of those boxes is halide halide mm-hmm. mark ii is the current version of the app found at halide.cam there's another interesting top level domain but uh, Halide and the folks behind that, they've been doing a really good job and they take into account the macro mode of the new iPhone 13 Pro and Pro Max um, that uh, they've got like a, a crop in an AI, there's an AI word again, powered <laughs> version where they can uh, find more details than there actually is in the image. And I'd prefer not to do that in the app. I'd prefer to take the raw data and process it through, uh, you know, Topaz Gigapixel AI or whatever other algorithm I have more control over uh, and have some use for it. But it's good on all iPhones, not just the latest one. So, Martin, you could check that out as well. Um, I'm just typing it in as you speak. (laughs) It is it is the most powerful uh, iPhone camera app that I have seen. When you're coming to uh, coming to the table as a professional photographer that is used to using a camera with buttons and knobs and dials and having control over things, uh, Halide, Halide.cam uh, is the app that I would use. And uh, they're continuing to improve. Uh, since I started using it, they've added more features specifically for that macro mode, as I mentioned. And whether or not I use them doesn't matter. The fact that they are listening and responsive to the people that are using their content uh, is a, a company that I want to promote. And Martin is installing the app as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've sold me at least it's got in-app purchases so i'll go and see what they what they're adding for um for a little bit of extra money i i can't um, remember how much it costs to basically have full access to the app but it was not on a subscription basis it was just a one-time fee mm, uh, mm. and whatever it was uh it was worth it to have yeah. as uh, as my again the, the default uh apple app 
on my phone is that like if I'm picking up my phone to do a snapshot, that's what I use. There, there's no yeah, question yeah, about it. But when I pick yeah. up my phone to actually use something, even um, uh, when I'm doing behind the scenes images, like taking photos of of the macro setups that I that I use, and always yeah, great to yeah. have that behind the scenes image. Uh, I've taken a liking to using Halide versus the built-in app, just mm. because it's got more features and bells and whistles and gives me better results. And at the end of the mm. day, better results while still being just as convenient. Uh, that's the trade-off that I want, right? You know, mm. where you're not really giving up much aside from maybe a few seconds of pressing a couple of buttons to make sure that you're where you need to be. Um, that's uh, that's worth it for me in the end. Mm. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, I'll be uh, I'll be throwing a few pennies that way, and uh, all right, uh, you make it mine, well, Martin, own, uh, I- as well. I, I want to thank you uh, for welcoming you uh, for welcoming me on your podcast, but also vice versa to kind of uh, cross the streams here, which I don't think we're supposed to do. Um, yeah. But uh, well, we've we've gone ahead and done it. Yeah, but we—I mean, we've obviously my my listeners will know that it, this is completely your format. Um, but I, it was it was a bit of fun, and I uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed. We've been talking for about an hour and a half just for the podcast, so it's a long one. Um, we, we could really, have gone you, for Don. two hours, honestly. I, I oh, could have we could speak for the whole night. If- <laughs> you. Or, you know, I, I, I could have... Uh, just just this wonderful camaraderie that we have. You know, you talk about spending time talking to a camera club and getting paid for your time and various things. This is food for my soul. I don't get paid to record <laughs> any episodes of this podcast ever. We're at... How many episodes are you up to now, Mark? Uh 760 this will be 69 i think um yeah i've i've actually got i'm not going to catch up to you (laughs) (laughs) i i have i have a conversation with valerie jardin on the on the way out that will be going out on monday and this will be uh shortly after that so this will be i think it's 769 so yeah, okay. what, what, what well, about what about the your, the the Photo Geek Weekly? I, I I mean you've you've done a fair amount. What number are you up to? Uh, one sixty five is what this one is going to be. Oh, and cool. uh, as much as I try to do it weekly, you know, I I, I do miss uh, a period, and there was a couple of months of being dark mm. uh, during the move and getting resituated and all of that, and, and mm. we're back up to it. And I, I want to restart my Inside the Lens podcast, talking about. Mm. Uh, you know, detailed deep dives into a specific topic with an expert in there. I think mm. I did one with you on printing uh, yeah. to that end. And uh, uh, I got a couple of other great ideas. It's just a matter of, of finding the time uh, yeah. right now when, and there's still a lot of logistics uh, happening on my end. Uh, we've mm. got to drive into the city uh, after we're done recording this. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure my wife, while I've been sitting here having this wonderful conversation, has made a to-do list that uh, mm-hmm. scribbles on the front and then onto the back of a piece of paper. Uh, yeah. So um, that's going to be next before I can think about inside the lens. But uh, yeah. uh, it'd be great to have you back on either of those at some yep. point. And, and a huge thanks to everybody uh, that has listened to this because uh, Martin and I, uh, to, to speak for you, Martin, I'm sure that you don't mind me putting these words in your mouth, but um, 
I, I don't necessarily do this just for myself. If I wanted to talk yeah. uh, into the wind, I can do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, to have this conversation with an uh, w- with another person and to have listeners that might feel a part of the conversation, it doesn't have to be a lot. Mm. Um, but just to kind of be a part of a, a, a community, in, in a sense, is is quite valuable for my own uh, you know personal well being and to have mm. the interactions and the feedback that I get from people. Um, it just makes it all, uh, you know, worthwhile. And uh, at the end of the day, I, I go to bed happy at night, knowing that people are listening to me talking into their ears <laughs> while I'm sleeping somewhere around the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I I can't imagine not doing it. Although, you know, there's there's there are times when it's difficult to come up with something to talk about. I uh, I can't imagine not doing this. So I'll probably I'll probably be here in if I'm still alive in 20 years. I'll probably still be podcasting. <laughs> Uh, I, I look forward to uh, listening to episode 1000. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully. That's, it shouldn't be too far out. Well, Don, right. really, well, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank uh, you. And yeah, thank yeah, you, everybody. Do, do, do you have a tagline that you end with? I usually just say, have a great week, take care, whatever you're doing. All right. And I will end with, it's time to get out and shoot. Uh-oh.